As part of Ferrari Fridays, William Ross from the Exotic Car Marketplace will be discussing all things Ferrari and interviewing people that live and breathe the Ferrari brand. Topics range from road cars to racing, drivers to owners, as well as auctions, private sales, and trends in the collector market. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm William, your host. Uh, it's been a long, long time since I've recorded one of these. Um, lots going on. I know my other previous will keep saying, hey, I'm going to start firing these bad boys out on a more consistent, regular basis. Uh, but things just kind of get away from you and kind of lose track of time a little bit. Got a lot of stuff on my plate and uh, a lot of exciting stuff that, hey, I'll hopefully share with you guys down the road. Uh, a lot of new things happening and whatnot and uh, possible acquisitions. So, keep that in mind so that'll be coming down the road so but again i apologize because like i said i know i keep kept saying before hey i'm gonna do these more faster stuff and seem to get quite a decent amount of downloads still so which is great you know we got quite a few episodes out there i really appreciate the support uh any thoughts suggestions hey just shoot me an email william at the ferrari marketplace.com as simple as that so anyways in today's episode what we are going to talk about that the whole scuttlebutt was, especially leading up to it and after the fact, is the Ferrari 250 GTO that just got auctioned off by Sotheby's last week in New York City. Anyone that watched that, anyone kind of delved into that and saw uh, what the car went for, roughly just with all fees and everything uh, in it, you know, all said and done, just a smidge under $52 million. So um, it's, you know, it's not a bad price for that. Um, you know, it's, you know, everyone has to understand something about that car, though, is that it started out as a 330LM. So I don't know if many of you are familiar with what that means, but the original 250 GTOs, that were produced and manufactured and race. Uh, the first, you know, this is where it kind of, everyone kind of comes up with the uh, different arguments and everything like that in regards to, well, how many were built, how many, da, da, da. You know, so technically you have, you know, the 36 250 GTOs sold. So, but after that, they actually then increased the displacement size to a larger four-liter thing. Now you say, all right, doesn't make sense. Was the uh, the <clears throat> the designation doesn't really kind of make sense on that? But so they increased the displacement. They only made actually four 330LMs. Now the body really only distinctive change in the body on these was the hood bulge, because obviously with the motor, the carbs, everything like that, uh, to squeeze that bad boy in there, because it was significantly bigger engine uh, in there. That you know, obviously, had to do the hood bulge again and that. So, common sense would tell you, you would think, well, wouldn't those four be more expensive or more valuable than the 250 GTOs? Yeah, you would think, right? But no, it's not the case. You know, everyone seems to prefer the 250 GTO. Um, that's the one's got the moniker, that one's got the status, the, the mystique, they, everything out there amongst everybody in the marketplace, out there in the automotive world. So, 
It's interesting because, like I said, in my mind, I would think I'd rather have a 330 LM than the 250 GTO. But, you know, that's just me because you think it's more rare, everything like that. But, so anyways, so after that car, it was, you know, driven by uh, Mike Parks and Lorenzo Bandini at some point, you know, uh, races at 1960 to 24 hours of Le Mans. And, but the big kind of, I guess, say, catch or hook, I guess you would say, is that really tried to press the fact was it was, you know, it was raced by the Scuderia itself. Now, basically, almost all those 250 GTO that were, pardon me on that, were out there and raced off that were basically, you know, done by, I want to say, you know, privateer teams, but privateer teams, but like, say, NART. Um, you know, you had the other Scuderia teams. Um, you know, you had several other teams out there uh, that actually raced the car under their banner. You know, that was kind of, you know, Enzo's, I guess I would say philosophy, or I guess basically say his, his business mantra. You know, it's expensive to go racing and race those cars. So his thing is, well, I'll tell you what, this is what we'll do, is I'll build the cars, we'll sell them off to who I want to sell them to team-wise because we know that they'll, you know, win and they'll just benefit the team and then we don't have to cover and pay for the cost of, you know, hiring the drivers and all that kind of jazz. Now, don't get me wrong, they did have several, you know, cars in different categories that they raced under their own banner. Um, but, you know, these, I guess you would say more... How would you say, uh, kind of like, I guess you'd say the cars that you could drive to the track, race the track, and then drive it home. You know, back in those days, those kind of cars, you know, they, they, he sold them more off to like these teams and gentlemen drivers and what have you than actual full-fledged race cars that they basically ran themselves. You know, uh, like your 330P or like the 312Ps, that kind of stuff, you know, those kind of cars. Uh, you know, your F1 cars. Stuff like that, you know, um, you know, your 250 LMs, you know, they did make the, obviously the street car and those as well. So, but, you know, they did have their cars at the factory actually did, you know, race themselves, hired the guys and everything like that. Don't get me wrong. But when they got, that was more for the Formula One side of stuff, but getting into like the endurance racing, that kind of stuff, they had a tendency to lean more towards selling the cars to these teams uh, than racing themselves. Now, don't get me wrong again. They did do some of that as well, too. So. You don't come, don't get yelling at me and jump down my throat. No, hey, William, they did this and this. Like, I know, I know, I know, I know. So, anyways, the, um, this GTO, you know, had, you know, a nice, you know, history to it. Now, I would say checkered history because, you know, there's some out there that have had kind of a sketchy type of history to them. Now, this is what kind of also gets me is, you know, I've, you know, been involved in a few of these transactions uh, in regards to these cars. And the one biggest, I guess, say hurdle you get, or I guess biggest, I say pushback, I guess, from a you know a buyer. You know, obviously, these people have a lot of money to be able to pay this kind of dollars for a car. Um, you know, and they have a tendency, they get what they want, and if they want something a certain way, they, that's how that's going to be. Um, but you know, they have a tendency to forget. You know, unless these guys are like you know hardcore into the stuff, you know, not just looking for it as a status thing, you know. They just have they have a car collection, but it's more just hey, look at me, puff out my chest. You know, you got those few guys out there that are true hardcore, like Nick Mason. <clears throat> There's your hardcore guy. You know, stuff like that. You know, Lord Bamford. You know, he's another one. You know, these guys know these things inside out and just absolutely adore these vehicles. But you know, you get these guys that you understand. These were race cars. They were raced in period. You know, so they got banged up, motors blew up, everything like that. So I mean, you're not going to have 
a car that as it was first built fresh nice and you know clean coming out of the factory is what you're going to get now i mean you know these things had you know led hard lives they were race cars and a lot of these people have a tendency to forget that now yes there are some out there that have hey they're you know matching drivetrain uh, engine everything like that but you know a lot of these you know hey they had different you know new blocks put in new motors put in, you know everything like that new transmissions because just have you know there's a few out there that you know they were pretty banged up you know and basically got all new bodies you know um you know then you had you know because you got your series one you got your series two you know and everyone always wants a series one so the series two ones a lot of those got rebodied back to series one so a lot of these don't even have their original bodies on them stuff like that you know and god you know if <laughs> If someone would have kept the original body, put a new, that going back to series one, but kept the series, I mean, geez, talk about adding uh, value to the car. But anyways, you know, no one, you know, if everyone could um, see the future and predict the future, you know, hey, you know how much money a lot of us all would have? But anyways, so with that, um, okay, I just lost track of what I was talking about. Oh, but anyways, so, you know, people, these guys have a tendency to forget, you know, what these cars were actually utilized for back in the day. And, you know, getting into it, you know, these and again, you know, this is, is a race car. Yes, you could drive it on the street. Yes, it was, you know, basically done up. You know, and you know, this was an Enzo's get around. You know, this was basically, you know, a, you want to say, evolution of the 250 short wheelbase car. Um, you know, that's how he tried to circumvent the rules and just say, no, this is just an evolution of that car. Da, da, da. You know, and being Enzo, being Enzo and, you know, these uh, people running the show, well, I, at that, like the FIA and stuff, you know, didn't want to piss off Enzo because they didn't want to lose him. Um, we're just like, oh, okay, yeah, we get it. We, you know, why, meanwhile, all these other teams, everybody's protesting like crazy because they just don't understand. It's like, how blatantly blind do you have to be not to see it's a completely new car? But, anyways, you know, that's Enzo being Enzo. Gotta love the guy. So, anyways, um, you know, being what they are, gotta love them. But again, you know, it's a race car, you know, and again, you know, you don't have all these creature comforts and everything like that. Now, what's great about those cars, these are kind of like the 250 short wheelbases and the 275 GTB fours, especially, um, you know, they're great, comfortable cars to drive, I guess, so to speak. You know, again, you're not going to have all these accoutrements, and everything like that, but, you know, you can drive them, you know, chug them along. You know, you don't have to like on some of these cars, you know, you have to be basically winding the snot out of them you know, to get any enjoyment out of these cars, man, they pull from the bottom man. they're like, I would say tractors, but you know, they got, you know, all through the range, you know, you, they pull, you know, they're not that bad. The clutch isn't all that heavy. You know, you don't have to feel like it's a tractor clutch or anything like that. So, you know, you don't have to be all that delicate. You gotta be a little delicate, but you know, it's, you know, it's not something where like it's a full on race car where it's either all or nothing. You know, I don't know how many of you out there might have, you know, ever been in, have raced a race car, driven a race car, but you know, those things don't like going slow. They're not happy when they're going slow. You got to have those things going basically nine tenths, ten tenths all the way for you really want to get everything out of the car. But to be able to drive it, you know, and not be like, hey, something's breaking or something's wrong with this car. You know, you get the layman that's one of these cars like that. They think, you know, the thing's going to fall apart or something's wrong with it. It's like, no, you got to drive it faster. You know, that's just what the case is. So and I guess that, you know, that what makes it fun. Hey, you're supposed to be going fast anyways, right? So anyways, you know, but with these cars, you know, hey, that's what they, they, they were made to be able to drive on the street, drive it from wherever, drive it to the track, race it, and drive it home. You know, um, not saying a lot of these people did it. You know, early years, yes, that was the case. You know, it really wasn't the thing of, you know, transporters, that kind of stuff. You know, these cars were street cars, and they modified them and took them to the track. You know, early days of Le Mans, that kind of stuff. 
you know, um, great stories about, you know, the Bentley boys, you know, driving from uh, England down to France and to Le Mans, you know, and then driving home. I mean, great, great stories. I mean, those boys had a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, as things got more serious, hey, transports came into play, everything like that. Hey, these cars, you know, weren't all that comfortable or anything like that to kind of drive on a, you know, 800 or 1,500-mile road trip to go racing like that. So, you know, that's when the day and the age came where, hey, these things got transported to track and everything like that. You know, they weren't driven there, which, you know, those are some great times. And, you know, we'll never see that again. I mean, now, now you know, the argument is people say, the McLaren F1 was the tr last true road car that won Le Mans that you could drive the track, race, and go home. Yeah, technically, but those cars that raced were nowhere near what the road cars were. I mean, those things weren't even close. You know, people try and make that argument. Oh, I did that, but you weren't going to drive that race car from England all the way down to Le Mans back. It wasn't going to happen. It, it just... You know, everything that was stripped out of that car. God, I'm trying to remember how much weight they pulled out of the car. It was a significant amount of weight that they took out of that car. I mean, significant amount of weight. Um, you know, if you look it up, take a look and see. I mean, it'll be a head shaker because, you know, you see some of these where they do it. They, oh, we took out like, you know, two, three, four hundred pounds, something like that. Well, they took out like, I don't know, 800, 900 pounds, something like that, if memory serves me. I have to look up and see a double check, but I know it was just an insane amount. We're like, how did they find that much weight there to pull out of there? But they did, and God bless them. You know, Gordon Murray, man, that man, he is a genius. And I don't know how many of you have been, you know, seeing his new, uh, his new car, uh, the T50. I tell you what, if you haven't had the opportunity, Top Gear's got a great video on it. Um, what's his name, the editor there, you know, the guy that said thing, but he does, you know, the YouTube videos. You know, and he uh, took it on a 900-mile road trip uh, from – I think it was just somewhere in Spain and to the Pyrenees or something like that, uh, but it's a 900-mile trip. And you hear that V12 scream, and that's aspirated. That thing, that's just glorious. It just sounds like the old F1 motors back in the day. I mean, it's just glorious. And straight out of the box from the factory, you don't have to touch that thing. And, and I'm sorry, and they even said, you know, put that up against any, new, you know, Koenigsegg or anything out there that's now. Now, the Valkyrie. Yeah, because it's basically the same premise. And say, yeah, Cosworth built both those motors. So they sound very similar. So the Valkyrie's got, you know, could give it a run for its money. But I tell you what, that thing is just absolutely glorious. I mean, the sounds it makes is just absolutely glorious. So, but anyways, talking some more about this sale. Again, fees, everything at the end is $51.7 million. And, you know, there's some banter around. Well, why didn't it go for 80? Why was it 90? You know, all these, you know, the auction house was stolen around. A lot of people don't think, hey, is it going to go for 60? Is it going to go for 80? Is it going to go for, is it going to break 100 million? You know, and again, the people that kind of study this and really know say no, because one, it started out as a 330LM. They got, re, you know, after it was done, then the factory took it back and, you know, redid it as a 250 GTO. Now, the factory did it, everything like that. So, you know, that gives us some credence. Um, and the fact is, hey, it, you know, gives it its value. Uh, but, you know, it's right. It's sold right where it should be. Um, anyone who watches the market, you know, those, they're a real 250 GTO Series 1. You know, as long as it, you know, no one's been killed in it or anything like that, you're probably in the, you know, 60 to 80 range, just depending on history and whatnot, what's been changed, everything like that. Series two, a little bit less. You're probably in the you know 50 to 70 range again, depending on the car. Now, here's a big thing. Uh, some people think wouldn't should matter, but right-hand drive ones do not bring the money because unless you're in a country that's right-hand drive, you know, 
people don't want it. And even then, people don't want it to have the right-hand drive cars. They want to have the left-hand drive cars, which are more in abundance, I guess you could say. Um, I'd have to look exact number-wise, but I think there's only seven or eight, six or seven right-hand drive ones. The rest are all left-hand drive. Um, but, you know, that's the big thing out there now is, you know, I have, you know, someone, a client that's looking for one, and there's a couple of right-hand drive ones that we're probably, you know, could easily get our hands on, he could acquire, but he doesn't want a right-hand drive car. And again, it goes down to, if you're spending that kind of money, you're going to buy what you want. You're going to wait, you know. Yeah, you know, I, you know, 99% of those cars all get sold off market. It's very rare that, you know, you bring it to uh, an auction like that. Uh, I don't know what the owner's thinking was behind that. You know, maybe just didn't want to deal with, you know, private stuff and having to deal with lawyers and everything like that. Because basically... I'll walk you through a process here in regards to how a transaction like this would happen off market. So you have your client, they start talking, they want a 250 GTO. Then you start, well, you know, you start delving a little deeper. Why do you want one? What do you want to do? Because that's a big you know, outlay of cash. Because think about that. Say you spend 60, 70, 80 million dollars. Think of how many other cars you could buy that are significant. Not just in value, but of just, you know, history, everything, provenance, just coolness. I mean, you could buy a crap load of cars. You could have a monster. You could get 50, 60, you know, top-notch cars. They have an awesome collection with that kind of money instead of just dumping it all into one. But, hey, again, when you got that kind of money, that's just a drop in the bucket. So, anyways, you know, you go to yourself and then, hey, you call who you know out there that would, hey, do you know if so-and-so is interested in this car? Or you call them directly and you'll find out. And, you know, you kind of just go through the grapevine, figure a few things out, you know, you're not going to know every single owner and be able to reach out to every single one. It just doesn't happen. So you got to go through other people that either A, they have direct connection to them, or B, hey, they can get direct connection. Find out. You know, so you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they don't, they're not, you know, there's those few out there that, you know, had their cars for eons, decades. Um, you know, and you know that they're never going to sell their cars. So you can immediately eliminate basically almost half of all the 250 GTOs built. Because they're just not going to be sold. The owners are they're not going anywhere. They're going to get passed down, what have you. Then you got about another, you know, five or six that you really don't want to touch just because their history and everything to the car. You know, it just, it's just not there. It's like, don't, it's, you know, it's car, it's like checking out car vertical or Carfax on it and going, wow, how many axes does this thing have? And I don't want to touch that thing with a 10 foot pole. Um, you know, you might not see it because, hey, you know, to the eye, oh, it looks beautiful, but, you know, what's been done to it and who did the work. Because you got to understand is, you know, Ferrari Class Each, you know, has not been around all that long. So you can't send it to Class, you know, class Each back in 1980s and, and hey, I want to get Class Each certified. And, hey, you guys do all stuff. And, hey, you guys do all, you know, and get the, get the Red Book for it. You know, that wasn't it. You know, who did the work on it back then and who did the work on it throughout the years is a big, big factor in value on these things. So... So anyways, so you got about five, six, seven of those that you really wouldn't even want to touch. So you start breaking that down. So you basically have, and you get rid of the right-hand drive ones in essence, unless they really want a right-hand drive one. Um, you know, you only have maybe eight to ten of them out there that, you know, that I can say, are, you know, hey, these ones are probably you can get your hands on. So when those cars actually, though, people don't realize, they change hands frequently. Now, I'm not going to say, like, you know, hey, once a year or something, you know, every year they're changing hands. But, I mean, you know, every year you probably have two of those, maybe three, that change hands. Uh, these guys, they keep them for a couple of years because it's a status thing. They'll go to the GTO-only events. You know, they'll take them to the big ones and stuff like that to say, hey, look at me. Yeah, I own one of these. 
you know, and kind of get in that circle, that group of owners. But then they, they move on because one, either A, hey, it's gone up in some value. So that little investment, you know, in a year, say two or three year time, you know, on say a $60 million investment, they turn around, they sold it for 65. That's not a bad return rate on sitting on something just for two or three years. You know, um, you know, it's not too bad. And all the enjoyment and fun you got out of it, you got to kind of factor that in because I know someone out there, number five, well, oh, that's only this kind of percentage rate, interest rate, blah, blah, blah. That's not like, well, look at all the things, though, enjoyment you would have got out of it, all the events you would have went to, all the people you would meet. Because a lot of that stuff, too, is these guys, you know, you get in that circle, man, you're dealing with some of the you know, richest people in the world. And you want to talk about business and networking and, and transactions. You know, that's how these people get more rich. They all work together with each other and, you know, hey, you want to get involved in this? Hey, you want, you know, you know, that's how these people make, you know, get, just keep getting richer and richer and richer. You know, they're all in the same circles and they all work together and they just make money for each other. So anyways, so that's pretty much, you know, how it would go. Well, I mean, it's not how it goes. I haven't gotten there yet. So anyways, so you got to identify the cars. Okay, you find one. So then what you do is, okay, you have the interest, whatnot, and kind of one big first step. Now, this is where it kind of gets kind of give and take wise between buyer and seller. Because the one thing you really want to do is, one, prove that the car is actually available and, hey, give me proof of life of the car. Show me a mandate and proof of life of the car that, hey, you know, and that's, you know, and this is what kills me because you'll get some of these jokers out there. They'll send you photos that they just took off the Internet and whatnot. It's like, come on, guys. I need like a photo. Not that it seemed like hey, a kidnapping situation. Take a photo standing next to the car with the newspaper date guy kind of crap. You know, I've had people ask that too, by the way. And it's just kind of you laugh at it. But, you know, take some po photos where, okay, you can tell if they were standing next to the car, they took the photos, what have you. So kind of get that proof. But then the next step, the lawyers. It just Then you just kind of, honestly, wash your hands of it, but you turn it over to the lawyers on both sides and then you let them hammer it out. You know, you start working on terms, agreements, and whatnot. And the biggest thing is proof of funds. You know, the buyer's got to show the uh, the seller, yeah, I got the money to buy for this. Okay, you're legit. All right, that's agreed upon. Proof of funds are there. Yes, they can pay for the car. All right, let's uh, set up a viewing so they can go and prove, hey, yeah, the car is here. Go through it. And obviously, you know, you're going to have a, an expert go through it. I mean, obviously, your key thing is you want to have Marcel Bassini go through it. Uh, that'd be the guy you'd want. He is the guy for Ferrari if you really went out there. Yeah, I know there's some other guys that are up close to his level, but Bassini is the guy. And everyone knows it. So anyways, that'd be somewhere you want to have it. So everything goes as planned. Everything's good. Everyone signs off. Yes. All right. They'll take the car. Funds are transferred. And there you go. That person's got themselves a new 250 GTO. Now, this is probably over about a six to ten week span. All this takes. It's not a quick transaction. It's not like you're going down to your local Ford dealer and going and said, hey, I'll take that one. And two, three hours later, you're, you're driving your new car home. Just doesn't happen like that because... There's just a lot of legalities, you know, technical stuff that goes on with that. Pardon my get a tongue tied there, you know, and especially you know, transfer that kind of money, all that kind of stuff. So it takes time, you know, time. So you got to be patient. And and honestly, a lot of these, even you know, getting it across the finish line to get the funds transferred, that and they get take delivered new car, and that you know, they're they're still not till about five, six, seven weeks after that person's gotten the car into their stable or wherever they have it. You know, and they've driven it, whatnot. They're going to say, "Okay, we're happy. They got it." Because, again, a lot of these guys, and I've seen it. And thank God it hasn't happened to me. Is you know, they get the car though, then all of a sudden they try and say, "This thing is not what you advertise," and that they kind of try and bulk it, blah blah blah. Something happens, so you know, they just basically cry. 
But anyways, so that's basically how that transaction worked. Now, in any even you know higher profile, like say F40s, 280 GTOs, along those lines too, any of those, and like say you know any car that you're talking million, two million plus, that's basically the whole process how this works. But you know with these lesser cars, let's say lesser cars, I get it. That didn't sound right, did it? But with you know say 288s, F40s, F50s, those kind of things, you know. You know, it's basically the same process. There's like, hey, proof of life, everything like that, lawyers talk. But it's going to happen a lot quicker. You can usually do that in a week or two because it said the dollar amounts aren't all that big. And, you know, getting those cars kind of verified and checked out is pretty straightforward because, you know, your 28 GTOs weren't raced. You know, they had their Evo, stuff like that. You know, a few F40s out there. They had a 40 GTs. Uh, they had your F40 LMs. You know, those ones were racing. Everyone wants the F40 LM. Uh, GT, not so much, which is weird. But anyways... Um, you now you have those. So again, same process, but it just goes a little bit quicker. So anyways, um, kind of enough about the GTO, because the other thing I want to talk about, and I'm sure a lot of you guys see this. Now, as we all know, Ferrari gloriously won the 100th running of the 24 hours of Le Mans this year. And they did it, you know, coming out of the gate with their 499. <clears throat> car is phenomenal. That is just a one phenomenal car. Now, this was kind of the shocker. I'm going to take a drink of my pop. What Ferrari did behind the scenes is they went and built a customer track, track only, because obviously, you know, not street legal, track only car that you could buy. Can't race it. It's not for any race series because it's not that hardcore. But, I mean, it's hardcore enough. It's a track only car. And it's kind of, you know, uh, under their uh, uh, program, that you know where they have the old f1 cars and that kind of stuff that they they run for you they'll storm for you just you ring them up and say hey i want to be here and then they do special events and hey they talk truck them there but they built these things and they're selling them to customers that hey they want to have that experience and they want to drive that i want to say exact car but i mean pretty damn close and go out and have some fun with it on track only days because that is the big thing, and I'm sure a lot of you out there that are in the know or don't follow what's going around is, you know, the big blow-up and thing now is these all these private track facilities. That you got your garage condo, they have a track, everything like that, and these facilities are awesome. They're phenomenal, and obviously they're catering to people with very, very deep pockets. Now, and if memory looking at that, I should have checked this for I think, but I think those cars are seven to nine million dollars. These four nine nine uh, cars, modif modifica. I think as it's pronounced, my Italian's terrible. Um, but anyways, you know, that's for these guys. I can't remember how many they're building. Um, I should do my homework a little bit more before I start doing my podcast. Huh? <laughs> but anyways, hey, this gives you guys something to do. As you're listening, you can pull it up or have your driver and give you something to kind of look up and, you know, check the facts and see it. Gives you a little homework to do. But anyways, you know, so they pulled the obviously, rabbit out of the hat. They all of a sudden dropped that bomb. It's like, God, that's awesome. You know, I mean, know how much fun that would be to have one of those? I mean, it's a little... The little Mons winning car, basically. You know, so again, the thing is, you got to have a, an expert team to run it. So, first, you got your expense of the car. Two, every time you go and run it, say you go out to the thing and you do, I don't know, 30, 40, 60 laps, let's just say, having some fun. That right there will probably cost you, oh, I don't know, 40, 60 grand. Got tires, the crew, all the stuff. Maybe close to 100. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I'm not in that position to be able to know that, uh, and, you know, paying that bill. But anyway, so that's kind of a cool thing that they came out with. So I was very happy about that. It's neat to see them doing that. But again, hey, it's a cash cow for them. 
And I think you're going to see a lot more of these, those type of scenarios where they're taking their, you know, race car like that and do it. You know, look at what uh, was that Roden, whatever they're doing, those guys out of New Zealand, uh, basically taking that F1 car and uh, doing that. And again, won't be any race series, won't be anything like that. You know, not going to be, you know, it's just a track toy for someone that's got deep pockets. Now that one's, I think, is a little more simplified in, in how it runs and operates as compared to that Ferrari 499. Um, but anyways, that's the big thing. That's where things going. You got people that got this kind of money. They want to have that experience. I mean, they're never going to, you know, race an F1. They're never going to do that, but they can get it. They're never going to race at Le Mans, but they can get that car and have it, you know, and showcase it and run it and do everything, you know. And, you know, in reality, as long as you do what you're supposed to do with the car and everything maintenance-wise, upkeep the whole nine yards, uh, which you would assume they would do, you know, that car is just going to go up in value. You know, so these guys that get first in with these cars – get, you know, I would say asked or get uh, gifted or, you know, get that, you know, golden ticket that, hey, we'll sell you one. What you want? And, you know, you don't say no. You buy it. Yes, I'll take one. Thank you, sir. May I have another <laughs> scenario? You know, because that's the big thing is being on these lists and everything like that. And, you know, you spend all this money on other other uh, lesser models and stuff like that. That gets you into the candy land. So anyways, so I thought that was kind of cool. But anyways, all right, I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, I think I rambled on enough. And again, so I'm going to do my damnedest to try and do more of these um, and get out there because there's some other things. You know, I, I'm hopefully, I got planned here in the next week or two, hopefully. Hopefully it doesn't fall through is to drive that new 296. And I'll give you kind of a little uh, rundown on how that was. And that car is supposed to be a lot of fun. You know, it's supposed to be their entry-level car, which you're still spending $400,000 on. But anyways, so we shall see. But again, I really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, and if you want, you know, check out the YouTube channel. Uh, it's Garage 65. You know, it's just, it's the word garage, it's the word 60, and then the number five. Uh, so check that out. You know, we're doing a lot of YouTube channels. I do have the Ferrari Marketplace channel as well and the Porsche Marketplace channel, but I kind of dump everything into the Garage 65 channel because it just kind of encompasses everything. Uh, I like going to a lot of the shows like Amelia Island, Pebble Beach, that kind of stuff. So take a look, check it out, like it, subscribe to it, uh, try and grow because we're going to try and do a lot of fun things um, in 2024 with it. And we've got a lot of fun and exciting things coming ahead. So again, guys, I really appreciate it. Uh, spread this around, do everything I can. And everyone, I know you probably won't listen to us by uh, tomorrow, which is Thanksgiving, but I hope everyone had a great holiday and uh, hopefully get this next one uh, out and uh, have a great holiday season. Thanks, guys. Cheers. This episode has been brought to you by Grand Touring Motorsports as part of our Motoring Podcast Network. For more episodes like this, tune in each week for more exciting and educational content from organizations like the Exotic Car Marketplace, the Motoring Historian, Brake Fix, and many others. If you'd like to support Grand Touring Motorsports and the Motoring Podcast Network, sign up for one of our many sponsorship tiers at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. Please note that the content, opinions, and materials presented and expressed in this episode are those of its creator, and this episode has been published with their consent. If you have any inquiries about this program, please contact the creators of this episode via email or social media, as mentioned in the episode.